Welcome back to Refounding. My name is Tevin Goldberg. I'm joined, as always, by my colleague Jesse Warren. And today we are interviewing Polly Cameron, who's calling in from Sydney, Australia, to talk to us about what's going on for democracy over there and what we can learn from that. So, Polly, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. It's a pleasure being here. Or it's actually tomorrow for you, but <laughs> today for us. Um, and. Uh, so Polly is the uh, co-founder of an organization in Australia called Change Politics, which is uh, an organization that's advocating for citizens' assemblies, sortition, the kind of stuff we like to talk about, um, and trying to build uh, public awareness about alternatives to electoral politics in Australia. She's also the director of public engagement at the New Democracy Foundation in Australia, which uh, I believe the two organizations work together to advance this goal of uh, new democracy. So um, one thing I noticed, Polly, when I open up the website to change politics is uh, an image of a naked man in a bathtub who I understand to be uh, an Australian celebrity whose name is Osher Gunsberg. And uh, it says something under it along the lines of, uh, democracy would be better if it wasn't about elections. Um, and uh, it's associated with a video that he does explaining um, why this is so. And obviously, this is kind of surprising because a lot of, uh, I mean, well, it's just surprising, period. Uh, but it's surprising because a lot of political organizations um, and websites tend to be a little bit more on the formal side. Uh, maybe, maybe they go for inspirational. but. Um, the, the, the comedy is pretty disarming, and uh, it stands out especially in the world of democracy reform because uh, it can be a little bit dry and academic sometimes, maybe. So I'm wondering uh, what motivated you to uh, put this at the forefront of your organization and like how that explains your approach to popularizing citizen democracy. Yeah, that's a very fair enough question. I mean, for those who haven't seen the video for context, um, Osher's in a bath and it's kind of a spin-off, the film, the big short with Margot Robbie, and there's a, a moment in that film where um, it's all very dry and they're talking about, you know, the financial crisis and um, so they say here's Margot Robbie in a bath to, to explain what's happened. Um, and so that was kind of, that's kind of the reference for that video. Um, and also a bit of a tongue-in-cheek nod to the cheap stunts that politicians often do to grab attention as well and headlines and, you know, the photo ops with the baby. So we were trying to take what can seem like a really complicated and, as you said, Tevin, their dry concept and um, make it more accessible. And I suppose that does get to the heart of what change politics tries to do um, and our mission around building awareness and support for these kind of processes is to take them off kind of this or politics and democracy out of the ivory tower of something that, you know, just goes on over there and us as everyday people should just, we know that that's sort of happening, but it doesn't really involve us and let's just let them kind of do it type type of thing. Um, and actually try and bring people into the conversation in a in a way that feels kind of lighthearted and, and potentially, dare I say, even fun. <laughs> what a concept. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so new democracy and and you and change politics. You're in Australia, and you know we're obviously in the U.S. and it's very different context. You know, most people in the U.S. have never heard of this concept, this idea. It's we always feels like we're lagging behind. 
um, the rest of the world. So I was wondering if you could talk a little about a little bit about what the what yeah what it's like in Australia. What's the context? What's what do people know about this approach? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, there's still um, a, a huge divide around um, the people that know about citizens' assemblies and those that that don't. It's still very much, you know, kind of um, something that people, if they do know about it as well, for better or worse, it's kind of associated with the XR, the Extinction Extinction Rebellion movement, um, as one of their kind of core demands. So we we deliberately as well um, wanted to use the term citizens' assemblies because there's some kind of recognition of any of the terms out there around that term, um, but really try and kind of own that terminology and bring it some sort of status and, and integrity as well. Um, and it's been interesting, actually, just in the last sort of six to 12 months, hearing politicians using that term um, and, you know, even just past my desk a couple of weeks ago that a big cultural organisation in Sydney um, has just started a program, you know, a public program next year that's called Citizens' Assemblies where, they're, you know, people buy a ticket and you go and attend and we're so, sort of having a conversation with these different groups that are well-meaning and wanting to kind of popularise the idea but are sort of missing kind of some of the core principles and obviously the self-selection um, and removing democratic lottery completely um, undermines what a Citizens' Assembly is. So we're seeing that there is an increase in interest across public sectors and different, you know, active organisations and, and even into, into politics, uh, but perhaps it's a little bit muddied water. And so, yeah, a key thing that we're trying to do as well is really define the term um, so that it has that integrity, as I say, um, but still trying to make it kind of um, accessible for other people to kind of get, get into it. So I think it's picking up um, in Australia and, I mean, New Democracy has been around for over 10 years now and so We've been as an organization, I think we've we're up to 32 or 33 projects we've now run in Australia just ourselves, but there's other um incredible practitioners, you know, Mosaic Lab down in, in Melbourne and Victoria in the su southern part of the country that are running these projects on a local council level predominantly and a little bit into state. You know, we've worked in Victoria and South Australia, but um the next big big win that we're really gunning for is a is a national project and we really feel like if you do something on that federal level um you'll really kind of capture the attention of the entire country and that's how we sort of really actually scale that level of awareness that you kind of see in in places like Ireland of course that used it um to address a few of their um the the areas in the constitution and so you know the majority of people in Ireland now are completely across citizens' assemblies and, and get what they are. So that's where we're trying to get to, and we're still a fair way off from, from that state, yeah. Is there a particular uh, topic that you would do for a national assembly, or is there some project that is kind of in the works right now? Yeah, well, there's been growing interest um, in the topic of political financing in this country. There's um, been a shift in politics on a national level in Australia since the federal election in May, um, where we um, saw a lot of independent candidates get up more than ever before. And they're kind of called the teals, the teal waves. You know, they've kind of got the blue of the of the liberals, but they sort of won on, on this path of kind of three sort of key pillars that they identified that um, Australians were caring more and more about, 
which was um, more rep- better representation um, in politics, particularly having women become elected. This integrity piece, so ensuring that there was kind of trust being restored into politics um, and also climate. Um, and so with this kind of wave of, um, you know, about seven female MPs that are kind of campaigning on this like climate and integrity platform, we found that there's been kind of growing support around So, you know, they they stand for, you know, being the voice of the community and, you know, bringing about greater integrity into politics and and fairer representation. And so it's sort of like knocking on the door going, so how is that going? So how are you doing that? You know, what are the the mechanics of that going to actually look like? And um, a citizen's assembly seems like a really um, quite a neat fit for that group of people who kind of are standing up and saying we're all about doing democracy differently and, you know, here we are with a kind of methodology essentially that can enable them to um, to really walk that talk. So um, the donations reform is an interesting kind of topic that we're exploring with, um, well, you know, we're having briefings um, in we were in Parliament House last week actually having briefings with a, a range of federal MPs that are interested in using this methodology particularly to address um, how we fund politics because, you know, we're still in an age, of course, of electoral systems and ca- campaigning costs money and we so associate, um, and rightly so, money with access. Um, so how do we try and uncouple that um, and also do that in a way that restores trust in the people and, you know, our um, government in power at the moment are coming up with their own kind of donations reform bill. But there's this kind, you know, this doesn't need explaining, but it's understandable that the people aren't going to likely trust whatever the government comes up with just by virtue of, it, you know, them creating their own rules to kind of manage themselves. So it feels like a neat fit to then go why don't we put that sort of topic into the hands of the people? What do they feel like would be fair, a fair way to kind of fund our political system? So I, and so when you're having those conversations, I'm curious, like, because one of the things we've heard is, or one of these, one of the dilemmas in citizens' assemblies is that the more you empower citizens' assemblies and the people, sort of you're kind of taking power away from elected officials. So wondering if you've encountered that kind of pressure and if you've had to deal with that or how you've dealt with that? Yeah, just that's a great question. I mean, we deal with that all the time. And actually that kind of gets to the genesis story of the split between new democracy and change politics. Um, Kind of internally, our shorthand is talking about change politics as the sort of bazaar and new democracy is like the temple. And we kind of keep keep them separate in a a very deliberate um, strategy because new democracy... Um, is about kind of showing that we're a trusted, safe pair of hands to politicians and um, and to government and that, you know, we're there to essentially make their job a little easier. A lot of people in politics go into politics because they have something that they care deeply about and they want to create and affect change. And, of course, getting into the political system, it's, um, it's not always easy to do that. Um, and so we really kind of talk about these processes as a way to, as a complementary mechanism, I suppose, to kind of get hard decisions done, you know, to be able to um, create a smoother way to develop policy that, you know, takes in trade-offs and that people might, the broader public might actually accept and, and support because there'll be people like them in that decision-making process. Um, and so it, it does come up quite regularly. It's kind of a tightrope then because when you're talking about these processes to the people who are so are feeling so disempowered and disenfranchised and frustrated with the current political system, 
um, the kind of languaging you're using, whilst both are correct, is slightly different. So when you speak to the public, of course, you're wanting to um, really highlight the fact that they're the ones that have, you know, got a seat at the table and, are, you know, having that um, a voice to be able to, to speak to power and to, to have a say in the decisions that affect their lives. So the way that we kind of navigate authority is um, to ensure that, I mean, primarily that um, it is a complementary mechanism. And so all the recommendations that the body come up with whilst they write them themselves and um, go through a whole consensus building process, um, their recommendations that are given then to the government. Um, and then we encourage, you know, the agreement at the start that the that the authority will be at the level where the government has ideally 30 days then to publicly respond to all of the recommendations that that body produces. That way, um, it means that there's there's embedded accountability. So whilst, you know, it's very hard to get the government to write a blank check and say, yes, we're going to agree to all of the recommendations, and it's also not entirely realistic, like we saw with the um, Climate Assembly in France with Macron, who, you know, was very gung-ho about that, but, you know, you're still going to be taking those recommendations into a current political system. It's not always easy to, to guarantee that everything's going to be accepted, at least by saying we're going to accept as many of the recommendations is feasible and any that we feel like we can't, we will publicly stand in front of everyone and explain why that is. Um, so that's kind of the level of authority that we work towards. Anything less um, we wouldn't take on because we're conscious of not running a project where people will walk away from that and they've given a lot of time and energy into it and there wasn't really any outcome that was delivered. And that's um, something we want to steer away from because, of course, whilst we're trying to develop people's understanding, awareness and support for these sorts of processes and assemblies, if you have people out there going, yeah, I kind of did one of those things, or I had a friend that did that and it didn't really go anywhere, it's just adding again to that malaise of people going, you can't change the system, it's just broken and, you know, anarchy and pitchforks are coming out. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that was kind of the level of authority we work towards. Something I wanted to ask you about is um, <clears throat> there's kind of a pretty pervasive sense of fatalism or almost like depression, especially among younger people about uh, the capacity of our governments to be able to change or to actually address like people's concerns about issues. Uh, and I think maybe it's particularly acute in the United States because we've had some really divisive elections and protests and stuff where it's kind of like socially, you don't even really want to talk about politics to people. It's like, oh, I don't want to like, you know, be that guy. Um, and do you feel like people's attitudes that you've seen, and particularly uh, younger people's attitudes towards citizens' assemblies, is a little bit more open-minded or interested or curious than just saying, oh, there's this really great candidate that I think you should vote for? Or do you think people still are kind of like, anything that's related to government and, and that stuff is just kind of like a boring waste of time? <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> Which is, you know, I, mean, I don't think that, but a lot of people do think that, yeah. Yeah, no, oh, no, God, absolutely. And to be fair, in fairness to them, it's really understandable, I think, that sense of apathy and going, you know, why should I even really take much of it? I mean, we have compulsory voting here, so it's a slightly different situation. So you're kind of being forced into the political system in some way. And I'm grateful that we have that in Australia. But, you know, people spending a lot of time thinking about candidates, you can understand why they would feel like that's quite futile. Um, that's kind of the way that it's set up. And, and 
you know, that's something that we so refute, I suppose, at Change Politics is that the only kind of measure of whether a government is doing well or not is this blunt tool of every three or four years you vote them in or not. It's just so rudimentary. And so it's, I think it's very understandable that um, people of any age, you know, kind of reject that and, and you know, feel apathetic towards it. We did some research actually towards the end of last year, kind of looking at different demographic markers from age and political persuasion and their sense of politics and their kind of um, feeling towards these sorts of ideas. And we noticed something interesting, actually. I mean, unsurprisingly, overwhelmingly, I think it was like 95% of Gen Z thought that the political system wasn't working in the favour of, you know, everyday people and that it was highly tribal and combative. Um, But we also saw um, a kind of swing around the baby boomers also feeling like um, that politics wasn't very evidence-based and it wasn't serving the people. It was more about winning arguments than solving problems. Um, It's almost like that kind of middle band of just kind of getting through whatever it is they're getting through, but sort of the people on the edges maybe are kind of a bit more time to look back and think, what is this and what am I leaving behind? Maybe there's sort of a legacy that's going on with some, maybe some of the older generations and certainly the new generations um, like the Gen Z and um, those kind of younger age groups questioning the current status quo, I suppose, and and, and the system. Um, but, yeah, we definitely see a stronger uptake in those fringes. And But if I have, you know, a second, and I'd be interested to see if this is the same for you guys, to really connect with anyone um, on this idea and even in sort of 10, 15 minutes of this is kind of the basic principle, you know, you bring people together to to work out what a solution is that feels fair that everyone kind of live with rather than what's going on over there. They all just go, yeah, I get it. That makes sense. It just completely makes sense. And I think the more that um, we kind of throw people into a room that have those sorts of different opinions um, and learn how to you know, Tevin, what you're saying about people don't even want to talk about politics now because it's just so divisive, um, which is so understandable. We kind of just need to work out how do we get better at having difficult conversations and how do we get better at kind of rubbing up against people that have different views and instead of kind of going at it with a, a default defensive or combative approach, how do we approach it with kind of curiosity? And that can sound so Pollyanna, but we actually see that happening in these processes. And I think why that is one of the key factors as to why you're moving people from opinion to judgment and you're building trust and social cohesion through those processes is because you're giving them time. You know, so often these kinds of um, really tension-laden interactions are when people feel like, you know, they've only got 10 seconds at a town hall meeting to shout their thing or they have to kind of convince that other person because, you know, they've only got a moment to kind of get their sound bite through or, um, what have you, or they're just not at all versed in in having lengthy, having to even be in the same room with someone for over a period of a few months. You're going to behave very differently around that person than obviously if you're on a screen or you're never going to meet them or it's just a passing comment. Um, so I think it's just like a crucial factor and it has so many kind of positive ripple out effects and people really get that when you spend the time to explain it to them. So do you have a personal experience from working with assembly participants or organizing assemblies that has confirmed this belief that it can heal division and lead towards real problem solving? 
Yeah, I mean, the kind of really high-fueled projects um, are ones that we've really kind of seen operated overseas on really, like, contentious issues. Um, but kind of close to home, there's been, I mean, a majority of the projects that we've operated in Australia have been around kind of budget and stuff. And whilst that can get kind of heated and urban planning, um, there's not, like, a lot of division necessarily in the room. But even simple things, like we ran a project um, earlier in the year for Western Sydney University and Western Sydney is a, um, a pretty um, multiculturally diverse kind of area in, in town and um, looking at kind of how students want to be represented was a fascinating topic for us because essentially student politics is often what funnels up into real politics in this country and so it's kind of a question that was a little bit subversive how to, how to people, how do students want to be represented at uni has like quite a strong mirror, I guess, to, to politics. And it was cool because um, it was a it was a proper democratic lottery and the people that were in the room were a, a broad spectrum. And so you had, you know, of course, plenty of younger people, but you also had some real mature age students. And seeing that kind of mix was quite fascinating where you had, there were certainly kind of young students that were a bit more um, really despondent and felt like the whole thing was kind of silly and they were over just overjoyed and couldn't kind of believe that they were being taken seriously and the vice chancellor was there and was going to listen to their recommendations. And the old, there was particularly an older gentleman who was just so chuffed that the younger people wanted to hear what he had to say as well and, you know, get his perspective as an older kind of mature age student. I mean, there's, yeah, there's countless kind of um, stories like that that go, that go through, that run through all projects. Mm. Yeah, it seems like everyone we talk to who's who's done these just it it, it always seems like the people leave with uh, just this these great positive experiences. So that's really always heartening to hear. Um, I was going to. It was ask, funny. Jesse, we were in. Um, we were just. It was like we planted over in Parliament last week, like I mentioned, and we we're doing this briefing about you know using citizens' assemblies as a pathway to reforming donations. And right at the end, you know, we had all of the MPs in the centre of the room, and then you know twenty or so staffers all sitting on the outside. And right at the end of the briefing, one of the policy advisors, one of the young staffers, kind of put up a hand, and she said, "I've just been." She was Irish. She was like, "I've just been texting with a girlfriend who was actually in one of the Irish citizens' assemblies," and said it was the best experience of her life. Wow. <laughs> like, we swear we didn't pay her to be there. But, yeah, it's a common it's a common refrain that you hear from people that have been in projects that really get it and actually become our biggest advocates for it. We do, you know, outreach to media and radio interviews and so often I like to try and centre the voices of, you know, past participants, people that have actually been on assembly. They're the best people to describe the impact of that project and they're always more than eager to kind of jump up and and talk about their experience to the extent that we're shooting an, another campaign in February um, where, you know, it's going to be, while still we want to keep it light and that sort of tongue-in-cheek um, tone that we, that we cultivate at Change Politics, it's going to be maybe a little bit more emotive and bringing people together to kind of give them a sense of what it might feel like to be in a citizens' assembly. And one of the twists at the end of that, little clip that kind of ad campaign um, is that we're going to reveal that the people that are, you know, are in the ad are all, you know, ex-participants of a project. And so at the moment I'm going out and doing the casting and we've got, you know, 10 years of, you know, several hundred people that have been participants. And it's been really cool, you know, you're messaging people, emailing them from 2014 
saying, hey, you participated in this Yarra Valley project on water in your area. Do you want to be a part of this ad that we're shooting um, that tells the story? And they're like, yeah, that was the best thing ever. Absolutely. I'm all about kind of spreading the word. Wow. Um, so that's quite cool. And I think it's a really great measure of yeah, the success of them as well, of how open they are to supporting. Yeah. I mean, I can't even think of people who like work on campaigns or volunteer on campaigns in America that are like, oh, it was so awesome. Like, I just loved knocking on a thousand doors, you know, or like, uh, I mean, it's some people do speak highly of it, but it is like, uh, yeah, I I think like there is this general perception that engaging in politics is like kind of a draining activity emotionally and like socially and to even conceive of it as fun in in the words that you used or... uh, like the best experience of your life or something is like kind of subversive in a way or it's like it's certainly a a, it's a shift in mindset that like what should we be designing for in terms of the average person's experience of uh the political system um i wanted to go back for a second and talk a little bit about um you mentioned the difficulties in uh getting a government to agree to the recommendations and the realities that everything that we're doing with these uh, citizens' assemblies and, and participatory budgeting and all these kinds of uh, deliberative activities like are still coming up against the electoral system as it currently exists. So I'm wondering, do you have a vision for how that could change uh, based on what we're doing right now, how do you kind of institutionalize this and maybe your opinion on efforts that have happened so far to institutionalize this? I know they've done that in Paris and Belgium and other places, and maybe if, if that's something that you're thinking about in Australia. Yeah, I mean, I love the conversation about institutionalizing these sorts of methodologies, but we're so far away from that that I also think it's it's beneficial to kind of still stay in the present. Um, Also, just with the humility that these projects we're still getting better at, you know, we're still needing to keep improving the design of them and um, even the recruitment process. Um, You know, we haven't run a national assembly yet in Australia. We haven't seen what that's like and what the learnings might be. And so kind of jumping ahead and talking about these replacing our current political system whilst, you know, that's a wonderful ambition and I, I support those that have that as well. Um, but yeah, but it's, we're just so far from that. I mean, I think the, the Paris and the Belgian example are great ones around, you know, a permanent citizens council that are that body and, you know, whether we have something in Australia that's like kind of a third upper house, you know, we have the House of Reps and the Senate um, and then having like a third chamber that's made up of, um, you know, uh, a selection of people from Democratic Lottery that are, kind of rotating that can maybe come up with their own topics um, that they wish to discuss or they're kind of a a complementary mechanism, a check, if you like, you know, from things that kind of bubble up to, you know, throw it to the people and see what they think is kind of the last sort of step. Um, Yeah, I I mean, it's, it's cool to think about what that looks like, but I suppose our focus for now is just very much how do we make it the best sort of feasible product, if you will, for now and make that super robust and get the people to understand it and support it um, and then look at what, you know, permanence looks like. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I guess it's it's kind of just thinking about it from the sense of like how can we try to solve problems rather than redesign everything. Although that's kind of what we're doing too. Uh, but I wanted to ask Polly, kind of how you got ended up in this work or found citizens assemblies, because it is such all the people we've met in this field. It's always a very it's very funny. I mean, Tevin discovered it when he moved in with me, <laughs> and. Uh, and you know everyone has some kind of interesting way, whether it was haphazard or not. Um, yeah. So I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah, there are always cool stories, and yeah, similarly, it's fun to meet other people as well that kind of are interested in this from a more kind of design and human-centered background. But um, yeah, my kind of journey was before I was doing any of this stuff. I was working for an organization called the School of Life, which is a global organization that um, is kind of about you know, applied philosophy and practical philosophy in everyday life and actually kind of bringing out great ideas from, you know, past thinkers that have also grappled with all the, you know, questions that we're struggling with and looking through, you know, what's relevant from um, from those discoveries and, and, um, and thinking and um, how do we apply that today. And as a part of that work, we had the good fortune of bringing out um, AC Grayling, who's a wonderful philosopher um, based in the UK, and he wrote a book called Democracy and Its Crisis, and he gave a big, we, you know, we, we did a big national tour with him, and, and um, that was when I first was introduced to the idea of, you know, actually back in Athens, they, you know, would select people by lot, and at first I thought that was, you know, it sounded like a very extreme kind of crazy idea, but as with anything, kind of the longer you sit with it, certainly with this idea, the more it kind of makes sense. And something that really clicked with me around this as well was that um, kind of like the people that naturally self-select themselves in a leadership role might not necessarily make the best kind of leaders. They might be like the most charismatic and, you know, speak well and present well, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll be, you know, good listeners and collaborators and have that kind of necessary humility that, I think is often missing and um yeah just understanding that leadership needs to be kind of questioned um really made sense and also that kind of this sort of stuff is shifting in even in terms of the workplace and you know organizations and businesses becoming less hierarchical and how can we involve you know um, and empower staff members to have, you know, more autonomy and more kind of say in the decisions that are made, you know, that are being made at a board level or executive level that affect them. So it kind of just gelled with me in that sense. And then um, when I found out about New Democracy through the, the principal funder, Luca Belgiorno-Nettis and his wife, Anita, um, I couldn't believe that there was also something that was actually happening in Australia around this. And they're kind of uniquely placed because they're not... Um, because New Democracy is principally funded by one philanthropist, you know, there's, um, they're not, they're not practitioners, they're not needing to go out and get work. They actually just purely exist to, to prove that these ideas, um, have merit. That's kind of the whole sole purpose of that organization. And then I, you know, my task is to try and kind of spread, spread the word. So, um, I felt really fortunate to find them. And now I'm kind of a part of this haphazard sort of ramshackly team all around the world. And I include <laughs> you both in that, which is so cool, you know, that there's so many people from various backgrounds, whether they are academic and researchers, um, you know, to practitioners and facilitators and leaders and, you know, people that have come, been spat out of politics as well as Lynn Carson on our research board who comes from council politics who, 
um, adds a lot of value because of that background. And we kind of need people with all the variety of skills and experiences that we're lucky to have, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting to me because it's, it's this shift, it seems, this whole little movement, growing movement, um, it's this shift from changing things, from activism, from a, like a fighting perspective and more from like a creating something more, uh, creating something better perspective. And that's, um, so, and that comes through and, and all the communicate, everything you're talking about, all of the communications, like with change politics and new democracy and everyone who's working on this. So that is just, yeah, one of my favorite parts of, of this whole thing. Yeah, it's cool. There's been um, a shift that I've been focusing on actually to that, Jesse, around how do I kind of start to speak to and engage with those fighters, right, with those activists and those people that are really issues focused, um, you know, whether they've spent like 20 years in kind of like climate council and trying to like the, the kind of standard advocacy that we see here and I know is in the States as well of, you know, you make a hell of a lot of noise and you make your demands known um what what is the what could the conversation look like and what is the potential that could be unlocked through using these kind of principles for the in those settings and in that context and so I'm kind of shifting as well um the efforts in change politics you know whilst we're doing all of the broad outreach and we've kind of got this digital marketing strategy where we kind of produce this content and shoot out ads and and get people's buy-in measurably so sign the petition and show your kind of support we track their um electorate so that we've kind of got kind of more nuanced data that we can use to to show to particular representatives that people in their electorate kind of care about this stuff um but more and more I've been having these conversations with those advocacy groups and there's so much interest from them because it's exhausting fighting like that and it's like, you know, yelling underwater and even if you get things passed and government changes hands and, you know, who knows what will happen in the house of cards of it all. And when I've been talking to them about this approach, whilst some on the, you know, more extreme views might not gel with it because there's a sense, I think, that naturally happens in those sort of advocacy and activist sectors where it's, I've got the right answer. I just need everyone to listen to my right answer. And so even with those kind of people, there's um, a sense that, you know, a lack of wanting to listen and collaborate, even though that might seem on the surface kind of aligned to their principles. But more and more I've been seeing kind of support and enthusiasm and interest and curiosity grow around these principles for how they structure their own organisations and also then what, how they advocate. So rather than going through that, you know, banging the fist on the table to their politician, they're starting to say like something needs to shift on this topic and we would love to see a deliberative method put in it so that, you know, there are people from all the different interest groups that can present and share and let's have a conversation around it. You know, immediately you change the kind of the tone and the temperature in the room if you're just talking about let's have a conversation and discuss over, you know, and deliberate on this rather than we've got the answer and it needs to be done and what are you doing about it? And um, to that end, we're going to organise a, a kind of Citizens' Assembly Summit next year that's particularly targeted towards these sorts of groups so that they can come and learn and we'll sort of operate it, run it um, as a kind of an, an assembly so around the topic of what can these sorts of principles unlock for your organization and for the area of change that you're passionate about. Um, so that's kind of an exciting thing in the pipeline too that we're trying to work on next year. That's really cool. Yeah, I think the 
the ability to be able to uh, not tell people but show people through by example and by participation is what's very unique about this is essentially a, a method for human interaction that just doesn't really yeah. exist naturally very much. I mean, it does in an informal way all the time. Like people get together and talk and solve problems, but um, the uh, it's not a, a commonly understood procedure. But it it does, I think, uh, put folks like yourself and hopefully eventually us into an awkward position where we're still individuals, citizens that have our opinions, our tastes, our uh, you know, associations, especially, uh, you know, people who have previously been active in electoral politics that suddenly get interested in this kind of reform politics, how do you manage that conflict of interest and really credibly present yourself as neutral? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's such an important one to tackle well. I think it depends on what role you're playing in the project. So for for designers and organizers, I mean, you have to be able to, you know, very, very confidently and authentically show that you don't have any, there's no conflict of interest, you know, um, any kind of sense from participants that this is in some, that they're being led in some way, you just kind of, it's dead in the water. And so anything, you know, we would never, for example, our principal funder has a, um, their, the family kind of, um, work has been around the built environment and um, building airports and inf large-scale infrastructure. So if there was any kind of project that was, you know, deeply related in some way to that and even just on an optics level could be perceived as, you know, we're designing and operating this project but we've got a kind of sneaky agenda, um, you know, we just wouldn't be able to, we wouldn't be able to touch it. Um, so there's that as an organizer, but in terms of the participants in the room, you know, they'll all have, as you say, their preferences and their biases and, and that's great. And in fact, you know, early into a project, we run these sorts of exercises where we introduce the idea and the concept of what a bias is, which can seem, you know, really obvious on the outset and, you know, like people put their hand up, you know, you ask the group, put your hand up if you've got kind of a bias around, you know, the property market, you know, people are expecting, you know, like I work in real estate or whatever. But then eventually, you know, there was a guy that put his hand up and said, well, you know, I own a pretty large home. And so if there's certain measures that are taken, you know, we put forward certain recommendations, I could miss out on, you know, whatever the kind of the, the um, intrinsic kind of benefits to him would be of being able to keep having a, a large home and not be interrupted by zoning or whatever. And so as soon as that guy kind of owned the fact that he's got an inherent bias just because he's got a large home in that area, then, you know, another woman said, oh, actually, I guess I have a bias too. too. That means I have a bias too. And so it just establishes that we all kind of inherently do. And so the work that we try and do in the room is to just really make it obvious and really known. So it's same when we bring in sources, we are all about having a, a large array, you know, a diversity of sources. You can't ever strip a source of its bias. You can only make it really visible and show a diversity. So that's kind of, Tevin, did that answer the question? Because I, I wasn't sure if it was like in the room or you meant organizers, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just love how it all really does come back to philosophy at the end of the day, which, you know, it's a real victory for us uh, philosophy majors that we're told that what we did was useless because, <laughs> you know, it, it's like, yeah, you just have to get together and ask these kinds of really basic questions that we don't really make 
the time and space to ask, like, what is a bias? Who am I? Why are we here? What should we do? Yeah. You know? It <laughs> doesn't have to be, like, highfalutin. It's, uh, yeah. 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 No, I was going to say the same thing. It's just, it's or something similar. It's just in the United States, in the world, this idea of actually having a conversation or actually is about a policy is almost, people can't even comprehend what that would actually look like, it seems, because everyone just assumes that government has the way they want to do things and what your job as a person, as a citizen, is to make your voice heard and explain the way they should be doing it. But there's no, there's just the idea that there could be an actual conversation where we talk it through, regardless of what our bias is, is just totally doesn't even exist, basically. And so it's just helping people, because I, and we, you know, I think about this sometimes when we use the word deliberation, I have to sometimes remind myself that for us in this world, we know what that means, and that's such a beautiful thing. But when you tell the, I feel like sometimes we tell, we use that word with people who've never heard about this, and it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't quite ring because they don't really know what we're saying till we have to go, till we go yeah. in this whole thing. So that's yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. You've really gotten onto that, Jesse, because like you know the words that we use and to avoid them, and as you say, like it all sounding a bit highfalutin is so important. You know, it's kind of so integral to all of this is to you know to really strip it back. And at the basics, if you look at it all, politics and governance is just you know the decisions that we make as a you know collective and how we kind of run our lives. And we're all making decisions, obviously, on a day to day level about our own lives. But how do we do that? at scale. That's all it is. You know, it's just like, how do we want to be as a society? And everything, like everyone should be able to have a say in that and have thoughts about it and that to be, you know, okay. And to be spoken about. I think that's, that's the kind of thing that I'm interested in, in the sort of mixed model that Ireland has done, you know, having politicians in the room as well as citizens. And while speaking to R. O'Leary, who was the, you know, secretary general at the time, who was behind a lot of those big constitutional conventions that were happening, he said it was a hard thing to manage because you've got that politician who inherently believes that he should have a lot more airtime than the bus driver that's there. So you've got to kind of rebalance that. There was also something really powerful in having that mix because you realise that for politicians, they realise that, you know, everyday people who would have thought can have great ideas and can handle the complexity of this stuff and want to participate and want to be deeply involved and heard and listened to. And, you know, conversely, for the citizen, it was important for them to see that the politician works super hard, is always kind of working and actually doing a lot. Um, and that was, I think that's quite, a, yeah, a powerful learnings from those sorts of mixed models as well is that, you know, it's important for both sides to understand, you know, there's even division and vilification that happens just between that divide um, that's not always helpful either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can definitely be easy to slip into a divisive adversarial thing where you draw the binary not between left-wing and right-wing politicians but between everyday people and politicians. And that's certainly where I've seen some of the discourse. It's, you know, it starts to get a little pitchfork-like. And it's, you know, I guess it's, you're trying to make a case about the system, not about any particular, in the failings of any individual. Um, Although I will say in America, sometimes there are some people who really test that. uh, And I'm sure in Australia too, it's politicians that that test the patients. But uh, I wanted to finish with one question um, since we're nearing the end of our time. Uh, So here we are, it's 2022, almost 2023. um, 
and uh, obviously there's a lot of uh, problems in the world. Um, you know, it's a challenging moment in many ways. And uh, I'm wondering, like, where do you see this going? Like, if if we are successful in actually changing the quality of the conversation towards deliberative participatory democracy in 50 to 100 years, where do you think we could be um, at optimistically? You know, I mean, you could say pessimistically too, but yeah, what's, what's the 100-year plan? Oh my God, 100 years. I was expecting 10 years and I was gearing myself up for that. 100 years, that's a long time horizon, Devin. It <laughs> to be an exact, what's the, yeah, yeah what's... Yeah, where are we going? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, from where we are now, it's just like try and make democracies a bit more like a democracy. That's kind of where we're at. And um, and then I think, you know, the longer term is from projects to permanence, like as we were talking about, what does kind of institutionalising this look like? And there's a bit of an interim step for us in that at the moment we've got big kind of constitutional questions coming up in Australia in particular about, we're doing a referendum on the voice to parliament with, you know, how Indigenous people want to be represented and um, in in our governance structure at the moment. But, I, I mean, longer term, I mean, even just like more broadly out of just politics, which is, you know, obviously integral to how we operate as a society. But I, I think my kind of longer goal with all of this, I mean, it's kind of about like how do we get along better as a society? It's kind of as simple as that. And how do we try and there's a lot of us on this planet and I think we all have a right to be able to kind of live safely and thrive as basic as that sounds. And I see these processes on a micro and a macro level being kind of integral to ensuring that that's the case. I mean, that's such a vague naffy answer but i really do believe that it was a vague <laughs> question yeah it there. was a vague question <laughs> yeah. but i was i was hoping for something like that so that's great yeah no that's it <laughs> um okay well uh thanks again for making the time to chat with us uh polly cameron calling in from uh australia part of the new democracy foundation and change politics um hope to be in touch yeah. with you and i'm sure we'll be hearing Lots from you, especially uh, once your national assembly goes through. You'll probably be world famous. So I'm glad that we could have gotten you now. <laughs> Oddly, um, it's not about me at all. But yeah, hopefully we'll uh, all be there together into that bright, shining future I kind of <laughs> outlined. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, cool. and uh, we'll we'll be in touch. Thanks, Stick soon. Thanks both. Take care. Bye.